ice water in his veins. I couldn't think of a better place to end the street than Death Valley, South Carolina, baby. Guys going down, guys stepping up. That's what football is all about. And they say we can't do it. What they say now. Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. In a surprising twist, the Big Ten has authorized Ohio State to add Chase Young to the college football playoff roster. Clemson is 10-1 and and now has six consecutive ACC championships, and life is good. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Nick, joined tonight by Ben and Cody. This is our ACC championship game recap episode and slight look ahead to the college football playoff. Gentlemen, that felt awesome. All is right with the world once again, and uh, that went about how we expected it would. Um, it's really hard to beat great teams twice in a row. You know, it's nothing against Notre Dame necessarily, but also with Clemson being back at full strength um, and the two stats that really show that. And we talked about it after the Notre Dame loss and heading into this game was Trevor Lawrence's running ability and then having Tyler Davis and James Skalski back and uh, ETN's rush yardage at 124 <clears throat> and Notre Dame's rushing yardage at 44 yards uh, reflected that. So I know Notre Dame fans didn't want to hear that, you know, they beat us because we were down some players. I know obviously Ian book didn't want to hear that and the things that he said leading up to the game, but that was the fact of the matter. Now, we probably still should have won that game and in years past with a little bit deeper defensive line. I think we probably would have, uh, we didn't have that luxury this year, uh, especially with tap Tyler Davis being out. We just don't have another player like him. And then also Venables, uh, Jake Venables, that is, is not, you know, the caliber of player that Skowski is in the middle. So when you plug those two guys back in and then you throw in Trevor Lawrence, say, hey, I know G- DJ had a great game, but he was still limited somewhat in what he could do. Um, a in his knowledge, uh, of the offense reading defenses and also his hurt shoulder being able to run to the ball. So um, when we got both those um, you know guys back on defense and that facet back of the game uh, back on offense, that was the difference in this game. And it was predictable. Ben, I think you just recapped the offense for us. I think we should be good from here, but, no, but seriously, like what you said is exactly right. I, I would chalk the, the game up to Clemson in championship phase and what that means if you have to point to one thing on offense, it's Trevor Lawrence runs the ball, or it used to be Deshaun Watson ran, ran the ball when we got into the last three games of the season. All of a sudden, the offense starts you know, moving the chains. Um, we're really efficient. We're, um, ETN's opened up. Some running lanes all of a sudden open up, and that's what we saw. And uh, more than anything, it's just it's good to play. It's, it's, a, it's definitely our best game of the year. Miami was the best game we had played up to this point, and I think it surpasses that by a wide stretch. And it kind of, for me, it recalibrates where we are as a team. And we can talk about this later on when we talk about our playoff uh, matchups. But to me, like, this is the team we thought it was. It has more work to do, obviously. But to me, it's it, we're approaching, you know, championship level. And we're, we're ready to play Alabama. I'm not saying we're as good as them or that we can beat them, but I think we're ready to play them. And I don't think we've seen, Cody, I mean, it's a great point that, and we'll touch a little bit about feelings coming out of this game, but I don't think we have seen this team play its best football it's not at its ceiling we're still down a few guys there are some guys that didn't play in this game there are guys that didn't finish the game that started it and 
I think Clemson left a lot of points on the board too, but it's still, for me at least, I mean, there was, there was just a feeling of kind of euphoria in parts of watching this game where, I mean, I, I think I tweeted about it um, on the podcast kind of account. Um, I, I would put this up there with some of our previous ACC titles. I mean, clearly in 2015 and t- 2016, like winning this game was critical in Clemson's rise up and ultimate championship or the first championship in 35 years, 2011, you're never going to take that feeling away from me from beating Virginia tech, really whooping them and winning our first title in forever. Uh, but this one guys felt really good. You got the, the rematch thing. You actually, like, I think what we asked for all along is like, let's see Clemson play up to their, their potential. Like, let's see them sort of hit their capacity. And I think you did in this game, Cody, kind of regurgitating your, your talking point. And that's what just felt so good. Like in a year like this to see all the, you know, missed weeks and guys out for COVID and losing to Notre Dame the way that we did uh, to see them come back and put on that kind of performance on that stage. I mean, I don't think any of us doubted that we would do that. I think we talked in all the subsequent shows leading up to this, that we would, we expected that, but even still, uh, I felt a lot better about that than I thought I would. Yeah. And the weirdness of the COVID season aside this was the first really legitimate opponent I feel like we played in the ACC championship game during this run. And it's also the first time during this run that we've had a loss in the season that we've had an opportunity to redeem ourselves for. Um, so that made it all much, you know, um, you know, so sweet and think about it. I mean, it was a really good day for the ACC. They get two teams in the college football playoff with financially is really going to help the conference, but also Notre Dame didn't win the conference championship as a one and done team. That would have stung the most seeing them win the conference championship and then being like peacing out next year. Thanks for floating us through the season and giving us a schedule to play. Um, now we're going to be back uh, to our old deal. So I think all of those things combined, really made this a satisfying victory. Um, We may get the opportunity to play them three times. I highly doubt it. But at this point, you know, we beat them at at mostly full strength while they were mostly at full strength. You can talk about their starting center being out. Um, But yeah, overall, a great win. And it has us going into the playoffs, feeling really confident and good about this football team. Agreed. And I know you guys um, follow Shake in the Southland. And I I don't know if you read, uh, I think it's Drew Schneider. Not really familiar with him, but he does a lot of the previews and he talks about it's just a big trash talking piece that he comes out with before the games. And I thought he, it's really funny. Hate you week. Don't, he does hate, hate week. week. Yeah. yeah. Every single week picks an opponent. And look, shout out to Drew. We play the same teams every damn year and he comes up with new, new ways to hate. Yeah. It's, it's hilarious. If you don't read it, go in. It's, it's really good. Not only does he talk a little bit of trashed about Notre Dame, but one thing he mentioned, and this was all in, in jokes and in, in joking, but he said, uh, he said, this is just another ACC, you know, bump in the road, essentially to, to paraphrase. This is another Virginia or North Carolina, Virginia tech. <laughs> and like, basically what we, the way we would perform, that's exactly what it looked like. But Ben, to your point, kind of bringing it back to my main point, Notre Dame is the best team we played in the ACC championship. They're, they're a playoff team, a legitimate top team, you know, whatever that is, um, they're, they're the best team we played and, and we just thoroughly dismantled, dismantled them. They couldn't do anything on offense and we got pretty much whatever we wanted on defense to a a championship level team. So yeah, I'm I'm feeling really good. Yeah. And listen, they had their opportunities early. They were moving the ball. Um, Clemson didn't score 
um, what on those first two possessions, they could have easily been up 14 to nothing in this game. Um, book started five for five after starting 10 for 10, I think the first time around. So it, you know, it, it wasn't easy going, uh, there early on in the game. So it, it was good to see Clemson kind of tighten up. And then once they got the lead, they really kind of turned the screws and locked it down. Um, but yeah, make no mistake. Notre Dame is not, they're much, they're a better caliber team than what we've seen in the past. It's been reflected in their ACC um, record while they've been in this affiliation within the conference. Uh, so at, from a competitive standpoint, they'd be a great addition. I think, you know, I'd love to see them uh, more often on our schedule. I know over the next few years, we're going to have that opportunity, but uh, you know, the ACC is really weak right now. So uh, again, it's a good thing for the ACC to get those two teams in, you get the exposure, you get the, uh, the extra money that comes along with that of having two teams participate in the college football playoff. Um, but you know what? Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. Yeah, we're pretty sure they're not coming back, right, guys? No way. I mean, well, if, if and 2021's a, a normal year. Um, and, and I can't blame them. You know, one of our buddies, uh, a Notre Dame fan that we were watching with on Saturday made a really good point. You know, when you look at the schedule they could have where they're playing USC and Stanford and Wisconsin year in and year out, versus the crap that they have to put up with playing ACC teams. Yeah. I mean, as a fan base, that's not fun at all. And you're going to get, they get more TV revenue from having those deals and playing a higher caliber well, opponent. So I, I can't blame them there. I guess Ben though, you know, we schedule two SEC teams a year, so there's nothing stopping them when they join the ACC. And I'm talking about a normal year, 12 games, that's plus, true. you know, postseason. schedule USC and Stanford, and then play an ACC schedule. They're not going to want to do that. But they but like, still have the tradition of playing like Army and all them. Navy. Um, so, Navy, yeah. Navy, sorry. So they, they have those traditions, and I understand that. Um, yeah. But, you know, we, we threw you, you know, a life preserve this year. Uh, but they did reward us by getting the conference some money. Yeah. yeah well, and, I, think it, I think it was a very, like, win-win setup for the ACC and for Notre Dame. Yeah. Like, I, I would call it a win-win. When they uh, agreed to split the TV more. revenue? Yeah, I think they did. So it's not like when they, they did is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, when they did. Yeah, for sure. Um, and they had to. Cody, what were you going to say? I was just going to say what you said. They, I think it was a win-win because they don't get to a playoff, I don't think, if they're independent. Well, I mean, God knows how the season would have turned out. They wouldn't have been able to play anyone. But They'd, they'd play six games like Ohio State. <laughs> right. And Dabba would have had them 21st uh, <laughs> yeah. as coaches both. And like, look, they would have played some ACC teams this year, including Clemson. They also had Wisconsin on their schedule in USC. Wisconsin, USC are like, you know, mid-teens in terms of like statistical rankings. And North Carolina is ahead of both of those teams. And obviously Clemson is too. So I don't know. I think it actually improved their schedule to come into the ACC full-time and play 11 games uh, overall. They played USF as well as like their non-conference game this year. And they suck. Take it easy on Jeff Scott. He doesn't have a <laughs> lot of work zero. down there. It's year zero yeah. for him. He's working on it. But anyway. All right. Well, uh, guys, why don't we dig into this game? Let's start with the offense. Excellent to have Trevor Lawrence as your quarterback. I think he very much made a huge difference in this one. There's plenty to kind of look at and think, you know, think from a game planning standpoint that this is going to be different, but Ben, you mentioned it and we've said it all along 
Uh, Trevor Lawrence in the running game really did open this offense up, really did soften that Notre Dame defense in a way that not only opened things up for Trevor Lawrence in the passing game, and we, we can touch on some sterling performances there uh, that really was great to see, uh, but also what that did to Notre Dame and opening up rushing lands for Travis Etienne later on in the game. So uh, Trevor Lawrence, like complete team MVP, uh, really should be the MVP of college football for us even having a season. I know we talked a little bit about, you know, the Heisman Trophy still potentially being out there for TL. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you guys watched the SEC championship game. Um, it's definitely not like a slam dunk for TL to win. I don't think he's entirely eliminated. It wouldn't shock me if he wins the Heisman. Um, but maybe before we dig into the rest of the offense and how this played out, like, you guys think he's got 50-50 chance at it? Only because three Alabama players are right up there at the top two. You can talk about them splitting votes, but even then I doubt it happens. Well, he's going to, the way the, the voting works, you, you vote for first, second, and third place. So, you know, yeah, those guys could kind of split the number of first place votes, but whoever votes them first place is probably going to vote the, or the Alabama guy first place, is probably going to vote an Alabama guy second and third. Like, I just, I don't know if you are going to have enough, Trevor guys. Yeah. And again, you're right. Like they may just split the first place votes and then there are enough people voting for Trevor who believe in him, you know, that pushes them to the top. I think the fact that Kyle Trask still had good odds after that LSU game um, tells you all you need to know. And the way the Heisman works for a lot of these voters, their mind is made up weeks before the actual vote is, is cast um, or due to be cast. So I think after he went down with COVID, that was kind of the nail in the coffin for him. I'd be super surprised. Dabo's endorsement aside. Yeah, like Holly Rowe posted a tweet. She had, a, she had her own handwriting on a notebook paper, piece of notebook paper, um, that just laid out the most basic ass stats, completion percentage, touchdowns, interceptions, and passing yards. And like TL does not stack up to the other quarterbacks in this competition. But to only look at four statistical categories, like to me, misses the entire point of the Heisman and this award and what it stands for. And like, maybe look at how Clemson fared, you know, with, how, with him out relative to how they did with him coming back um, to understand like what he means. So I don't know, Cody, what do you think? Well, for one, I feel like the voting has become a bit tribal. I mean, we know that a lot of the, the people voting are, you know, it's the Larry Williams and, you know, Larry Williams would actually, he's the kind of guy you want voting, but it's, it's local hometown teams and Dabo. I don't think, you know, as much as I love Dabo, I don't think him like feeling the fire actually helps campaigning for Trevor Lawrence actually helps him. I think most journalists will do the opposite <laughs> just because he's campaigning. Um, did he, but you know, that's just from like a voting logistics standpoint, does he deserve it? Yeah, I think you're right. Totally. I don't think you should, entirely look at the wind uh the the stats alone and i think there's a lot more to look at and if there was a year to take into account that like i guess, I guess the main criteria for most voters every year it's probably the same year in year out it's it's heavily statistics derived that's how they're basing their their vote and then there's probably a little bit of like championship what did you do in big moments and i think if you were going to alter that a little bit and have a little bit of understanding for like the fact that he went off with covid this would be the year to do that but I honestly, I just don't think it's going to be enough. And I think, but I, I still think he deserves it, but too little, too late. Well, and, I mean, and how many games does Clemson win if Mac Jones is our quarterback? 
And maybe we do win the same number of games, but their, their offensive line is one of the best ever, by the way, Alabama's. Totally. And ours is not what, one of the best ever. Does Mac Jones do what he does without, and look like I love Clemson's offense, but we don't have his weapons this year in the receiving game. I'm thinking about. Well, yeah. I mean, ask yourself, how well do you think Mac Jones is going to do in the NFL? So you hold a clipboard right. for most of his career. Um, at best, maybe. I don't know. Maybe he outperforms that. But, uh, you know, I would say overall, there is one ca- caveat this year, and that's that the Pac-12 and the Big Ten uh, writers don't have anybody within those conferences to vote for. Um, just because you, we can talk about Ohio State's body of work uh, and them deserving of the playoff, <clears throat> and that's obviously questionable. But as far as the Heisman is concerned, because it is more or less a stat award, they definitely don't have enough games to consider anybody in either of those two conferences. So maybe then it comes down to a question of, you know, how do those sports writers vote? Do they vote for Alabama and just tow the college football line, the best players from that, from, you know, that powerhouse team, or do they make a statement and pick who they perceive to be the actual best player in the college football, the, the, the player, the media perceives to be the actual best player in college football, the guy who would have been the first draft pick, um, you know, his freshman year coming out of school, had he gone then uh, definitely this year. And I will say not last year, perhaps because of how good of a season Joe Burrow had. Um, so who knows, you know, that, that could be the little wrinkle. Again, this is a weird year. We're having to consider things we haven't considered before. Things are different. Maybe that's what pushes them over the top. It'll be interesting to see how, how, how the votes break down. So your, your local beat writer for say big 10 or PAC 12, that probably doesn't generally like Clemson and God knows, you know, those guys don't like Dabo. Do they, if you know, and you can't say that they this like isn't Saban? A, right. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. So like, they probably don't like Saban anymore. They don't like the sec. So like, yeah, I mean, they're going to have a hard time picking one, picking one over the other. I mean, that's They're probably going to vote for the BYU quarterback. Could be Sarah Fuller. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I mean, nope. she's made one more college kick than the three of us had. So, well, you're so, right, Ben. It, it is. And I could just imagine Cody out there trying to kick a ball. I can't say it'll look much better. Cody, I don't, I don't really like, I know I get, I get what you're saying. Like Dabo may not be beloved in all pockets and corners of this country. Um, but I think people respect what he's built at Clemson and they respect Trevor Lawrence. Like, I don't, I don't perceive a, groundswell of animosity toward that i think specific programs fan bases hate Dabo, and i think probably some college football media don't like Dabo. um and again a lot of those people are heisman voters but are you going to penalize and punish a lot of those same people talk about like players rights a lot so are you going to punish trevor lawrence because you don't like his head coach i don't think you are I don't Trevor really Lawrence, who also spoke out against these issues that you're talking about. So I don't, yeah, like, yeah, I don't think you pinned it on Dabo. I think this, this could be interesting. Again, I'll go back to my point. I think it could be interesting to see um, if they kind of break from the standard tradition and the mold in this one, not having their horse to pull for. Yeah, it's a good point, Ben. Um, and when is that an- announced? It's after the semis. Uh, yeah, it's the week. ESPN is going to televise it the week in between. Got it. Cool. Well, we will stay tuned to that one. Uh, but guys, like, you know, bringing it back to this game, do you feel like Trevor had a Heisman worthy performance in this game? Outside of that first pick, um, 
thought he played a phenomenal game. Um, and you can really see with him running the ball and really any quarterback running the ball, how it significantly affects the success of this offense. And it's not that we wouldn't have run the ball with DJ. You saw them run the ball with him when they had to, and he's going to be a great running quarterback. Um, but he was dealing with that shoulder injury. Uh, with Trevor, it's his his instincts, his ability to kind of hold on to that ball and have that feel with DJ and to be able to hold the ball uh, longer in those zone reads um, that DJ really wasn't comfortable with. They were more like, you know, when he was going to hand off, he was going to hand off to Travis. So Trevor's ability to do that, um, yeah, it just completely changes the game. And I think DJ will get there, but he's so good at what he does, and he's not afraid to run the ball. You saw him take some hits in this game, give some hits in this game. Um, you know, he had one slide and maybe like that may be the first time I've seen him slide in his career. And it wasn't a very pretty slide. He certainly needs practice. Um, yeah, but it's, Kyle Hamilton had him dead to rights. I think it was a good slide once he had the first down in the moment. I mean, yeah. obviously you would have loved to see him juke out Hamilton, but anyway, yeah. But, yeah but. And we've seen, I mean, he's, you know, he's a kid, he's not prone to injury, uh, but it really changes the, the dynamic of this offense. And it really opens things up for Travis Etienne in the running game. And you saw it play out in this one. So um, I know we don't talk about him as being a dual threat quarterback, but he's a dual threat quarterback in the true sense of the term. Oh yeah. I think, and I think this performance was, if you look at his all time performances, you know, the Alabama game from two years ago, obviously we up there, Ohio state from last year probably is number one. This game's up there. It's definitely top five. It's one of his, I mean, I, I thought it was, he was masterful and how he mostly in how he decided whether or not he was going to pull it or run. And like you said, Ben, a lot of it was in the zone read where all year it's been give it to Etienne. Just, you know, I think that's for like a self-preservation. You don't want Trevor running, but you know, five or six times a game. But in this case, they were, you could see early on, they were going to run. And that just, it, that you could watch, you could see it. And it was really cool because they did a lot of replays for almost every play in this game. And you had Herb Street walking through every play. You could see linebackers sucking in defensive ends that were just frozen. And it got it, it, it just, you can't, it, it seems so small to the, I guess, casual observer, but it just means so much for both Etienne, but also Trevor Lawrence and the Clemson offense. And not, and as far as Trevor goes, too, he was almost, perfect in his throws outside of that interception just a, a like a magnificent game he made some amazing throws and nfl scouts are still drooling yeah i mean combined he ran the ball one more time than the, than the rest of the running backs on the team um carrying it 14 times so you, you know when we get into this championship phase you see the commitment to the run start to come out and it is a huge weapon um for this offense and then uh to your point cody i'm you know, having we've had Kirk Herbstreet uh, announce many of our games this year, him and Fowler, just because there haven't been a lot of other great games on. Uh, so generally, that's one of the best games of the day. And I'm just super impressed by Herbie and how quickly he can analyze a play um, after the play and immediately can see things happening. And he, and he uses the teleprompter and draws it on the screen. Um, it's, you know, the football knowledge is quite impressive um, and it really helps you understand things better. Um and that'll be the last uh, nice thing I say about an Ohio State Buckeye in this episode. Uh, well, guys, like looking at Notre Dame's defense and sort of where their strengths are, I think you're, you're going to see similar strengths on the Ohio State defense from an advanced stats standpoint, um, just in the national rankings, really across a lot of the defensive statistical categories. They pretty much match up with about within, you know, two to four rankings spots um, across kind of the advanced stats. And 
that bodes well. I don't necessarily think there's some, anything that Ohio State's defense does much better than Notre Dame. And I would, I would argue they're probably worse in pass in, in their off or then their defensive secondary of stopping the passing game. Um, I think their D line, I mean, look like Ohio State's definitely going to be worse off than last year. Um, but seeing what Trevor Lawrence and this uh, Clemson offense did to Notre Dame, I think that very much bodes well for that matchup with Ohio State that we can get into a little bit more later. Yeah, well, you're saying that their secondary is worse than Notre Dame's? Correct. Well, that's going to be tough sledding for Ohio State then because Clemson's wide receivers are running open all day on Notre Dame's secondary, it seemed like. Um, much more so than I thought DJ had some harder throws to make in, in, in the previous game than Trevor. This one, that being said, Trevor had some phenomenal throws. That, that fadeaway pass to uh, Cornell Powell was a thing of beauty, and he keeps making these throws game in and game out. You know, you'll see those 35-yard throws on a line across the field to Amari or Cornell Powell. Um, and, you know, we've got another guy coming right behind him who can do the same thing. It, it's quite impressive to watch because you see, you know, Book made some, you know, pretty strong throws in this game as well. But, I mean, that's, you know, when you've got the combination of the ability to run the ball, the arm strength, and just the, the way that he masters the offense – um, he's certainly a game changer and any given day, it's going to make Clemson a damn near impossible team to be with him uh, behind center. Yeah. Did you guys, I mean, something that helps Trevor Lawrence out a lot in this game is the reemergence of EJ Williams um, in the receiving core. He got a little bit of a quieter game for Cornell Powell in this one. Um, although he, he did find the end zone and um, you know, Powell played, played a great game has had an awesome year. I just think EJ Williams was the answer and the star in the passing Powell, game. On Powell did not score in this game. Oh, okay. That was EJ, Williams. That was EJ with the, the second touchdown of the game. Um, great throw and catch there for him uh, scampering into the end zone. But uh, yeah, EJ Williams is making significant contributions and he's gotten better and better as the season's gone along. And that's really been something we needed with obviously the loss of Ross, but with Ngata, battling through his injuries and Latson being out these past several games. Latson got in a few snaps in this game I saw, but EJ Williams, man, you know, I think uh, between Davo and Elliot, they said at the beginning of the year, it's like, Hey, you know, this kid isn't going to, you know, be ready right at the get go, but watch out for him at the end of the year. And you know what he's, he's been doing it. He had that amazing one-handed catch uh, there along the sidelines. Um, he struggles a little bit at times blocking. He gets, he gets blown off. Um, uh, you know, blown up by uh, wh whatever man he's trying to block, and it can it killed um, uh, uh, a t I think a toss or a, a swing past ETN early on in the game. But um, and, and that's where he's going to be able to stand to put on some more weight in the offseason and improve that part of his game next year. But as a true freshman, he's making some incredible plays, and he's certainly become pretty damn dependable, especially with his hands. He's not dropping balls right. He's making some pretty incredible catches. I agree. And that one catch that you mentioned on the sideline, it, that was very reminiscent of 2018, Justin Ross and that, and the national championship game. And it's, it's good to see a big body wide receiver out there. I did not think, I mean, if you said at the beginning of the year, who's it going to be Ladson and Gata, the wild card would be AJ Williams. And right now it's like, if we're going to, we're going to win a national championship, he's going to have to make a couple of those, maybe not the freakish ones, but he's got to make some, some big catches and, I honestly, though, like we've talked about the wide receiver core being like a potential weak spot. I don't, I think we're, I think we're sufficient there. It's not, it's not what it was in 2018, but it's good enough to me. It's not what it was last year, frankly, but it's good enough to me to win a championship, uh, especially with the emergence of 
Davis Allen and, and Braden Galloway at tight end? It's, it's sufficient short of injuries. Um, the depth just isn't there right now because of the attrition. But I totally agree with you, Cody. I think our, our starting uh, three guys, the Rodgers, Williams, and Powell, um, are certainly good enough to get the job done. They've all made amazing plays all year. Powell's really come on here late in the season. Amari Rodgers has been um, his incredible self. And then I definitely think you didn't see it a lot in this game. Braden Galloway didn't get too involved. No passes, I believe, to, to Davis Allen. But you, you got to believe that, that, that they've still got that card to play. Um, uh, Tony Elliott, that is, and expect to see that come out when needed in the playoffs. I think they could be a really big part of the, of the passing attack. And we've seen it before, so I, I think we'll see it again when it's needed. Um, and you, I don't, you, I don't you think rewatch. JC Chalk is going to be that guy. I agree with you there. He did have one catch in this game, but I know um, but that's <laughs> kind of stumbled down. Yeah. Good for him. Then did you rewatch this game? Did you see, did Frank Latson see the field in this one? Did, I don't know if he even had any. Targets. He was out there for he. I don't think he had any targets, but I saw him out there for a few snaps. Got it. And um, still no word on Engata. I mean, those two would be like certainly an interesting wrinkle just from a depth standpoint. I mean, what would you guys do if you're Tony Elliott and Dabo in this? I mean, do you do you roll with EJ and Cordell? We've kind of got us here. They seem to be clicking at this stage with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Ladson seemed to be earlier in the year. I would say Ngata is one that's just like, yes, he's super talented. Um, but I don't know if you risk kind of, you know, there's only so many snaps. There's only so many attempts um, that you're going to get against Ohio state and against Alabama, presumably. Um, I don't, I just don't know that you roll the dice with a guy that could be that cold um, without that chemistry with TL when so many of these other guys have been good this year. Well, TL's had some chemistry with, with Lassett if he just catch the ball. Um, and yeah, that's he struggled more so early in games, and it would eventually kind of uh, get it together and make some some really good catches. I think as long as Latson has been practicing with the team um, the, the past few weeks and, you know, obviously got some game action, you have the next couple weeks to get some practice, I think that he can make a contribution um, in the playoffs. And God is the one that, that I doubt just because, you know, you really got to work your way back into playing shape if he hasn't been out there and active. Um, as much as you would hope. So um, I don't think you can rely on that. I, I do really worry about injury, I think, at the wide receiver position at this point. Um, but otherwise, uh, all things being equal and those guys staying healthy, then, yeah, I think they can match up, um, you know, with the best DBs in the country. You know, Mari Rogers and Cornell Power are two guys. They're physical guys, right? So they can stand up to some tough DBs. EJ Williams might get knocked over a few times. Um, but, you know, we'll see how it plays out. Other, I'm feeling good. Between the, the wide receivers we have and the guy we have throwing the ball, I think we'll be okay. He took that shot against Pitt. I guess we didn't really see him too much in the Virginia Tech game, so maybe he was worse for the wear from that one. But I think that was the case. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so, lastly, I know we've touched on it a little bit. Travis Etienne, uh, perhaps one of his last games in a Clemson uniform. 10 carries, 124 yards. He also had a great game in the kickoff return uh, duties on this team. You know, another seller performance from quietly from ETN in this one had a, a long highlight reel rushing touchdown um, that you're definitely going to see on draft day in the NFL coming up. So um, what else is there to say? He had an awesome game. He did, did a lot with what he had in front of him. Um, guys, like, do you feel a little bit better about, about our offensive line kind of standing up against Notre Dame and opening things up? 
I, I thought they played a good game in this one. Um, I, and again, I think the threat of Trevor running the ball certainly had a huge effect, but you saw some actual holes open up uh, in this one. And, you know, the proof's in the pudding. You saw EJ, or sorry, ETN make plays that we're used to seeing him make and plays that we haven't seen in the past several weeks. So um, again, Cody, you mentioned it earlier. Yes, this is not the greatest offensive line ever, but when all the parts are working well together, and everybody's healthy, then they're certainly good enough to win a national championship. They're solid in pass protection. Um, you saw Walker Parks get in there and had some really good blocks in this game. He missed a couple, um, but good to see him getting some playing time. As a guy who you may have to depend on, uh, should somebody like McFadden go down at right tackle? Agreed. Yeah, if Walker Parks can uh, – I mean – Let's just say he's he's ready for next year. He, just watching him athletically, I, I really like his potential. I don't know if he's going to play tackle or if he'll he'll uh, what they'll do next year with him and McFadden. But we have a tackle for next year. We have two, uh, probably no more than two, but we have two. Uh, now I, I I like the offensive line, like you said, Ben. In pass protection, they're fine, uh, or they're they're good. I'm sorry, and run, run blocking, not so much. But God, what 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 having an extra body to run the ball that being Trevor Lawrence does for the offense versus everyone and their mother in the stadium, all 26 people knowing that the ball is going to Travis Etienne. And it's not, you know, we talked about it, I guess in the Notre Dame recap, maybe it's all away. It's like, was it, is this a wasted year for Etienne? And it's not, but it's just, man, it's, it, there's, it stinks that we haven't been able to feature him as much this year. He had so many arm tackles, bringing him down so many guys he's had to run through. He's great in yards after contact, but man, there's a lot of contact for him to deal with and it's not entirely his fault. So and apparently he had a bit of a banged up knee. Uh, it got banged up at the end of the Notre Dame game. Um, I didn't know that. That didn't have any effect on that game. Um, obviously he was struggling running before that. Um, but yeah, that's what I heard. Um, but you know what? I will say this. We talk about the, the national media giving Clemson props. You know, the ACC uh, did not. Uh, they elected uh, uh, ETN to the second team all ACC, uh, the running back position. Meanwhile, ESPN elected him to their first team. Um, uh, all-american team so game props there that's unfortunate and you know Najee harris uh, you know he deserves the credit he gets he's incredible etn is right there with them at the beginning of the year it was it was you know i guess it was the consensus that etn was the better of the two and like what's changed since then is, is Najee harris has taken another step and etn's taken a step back it's like no just look at their damn offensive lines and like the just in, in the, when you get Trevor running against some teams in the playoffs, all of a sudden ETN remind America that, oh yeah, that guy's pretty good too. Um, but I, I'd hope he gets the, I hope he gets the chances. And he's put some great film on tape uh, with his improved pass catching ability out of the backfield. Um, so I think right. your point, Cody, his stock definitely has gone up this year and he might've worked his way into a, into a first round, late first round pick. Yeah, I, I think it is a matter they mentioned on the broadcast, like it's a fit question. Like, what, what are you looking for in your back? What do you need on your offense? What style do you play? Um, I know which one I take um, just from, and I get like ETN, I guess, Ben, we can kind of, uh, we're not going to dox your cousin, but um, you know, your cousin was a graduation with ETN standing next to him. I don't know how tall your cousin is, but ETN's like, 5'11", 5'10", right? Like he's yeah, not, my cousin he's not huge. super tall. <laughs> doesn't look like a giant. Um, I believe Najee Harris is actually quite, like he's not super tall either. Um, but I don't know. Like these are both great, great running backs and very versatile. Um, 
I don't know. ETN just has that kind of, again, we're, we're hopelessly biased here, but. Well, and you generally don't, I mean, you don't want tall running backs, right? That's not the position they, they should be playing at. I mean, Gurley may unless be a you're Derek, Unless you're talking Derek Henry. Derek Henry. Well, he's got the girth to go along with that. So proportionally he, he fills out properly. Um, but yeah, yeah but I, I was just surprised to see ETN in, in comparison. That was interesting. Right. Uh, I guess, you know, we, we referenced it earlier from a passing defense standpoint, um, comparing Ohio State to Notre Dame. Ohio State's defensive line is actually better than Notre Dame against the rush. Um, and again, they've played six games, you know, say what you will about Big Ten opponents. I mean, these are opponent adjusted rankings, but um, it is going to be interesting to see. I mean, it, look, like they're not too far off. Notre Dame's not too far off Ohio State here. And we seem to run all over them. So uh, I just wouldn't expect that to be the strong suit of the Clemson offense in that sugar bowl matchup. We'll see. I mean, we've, we've schemed around it all year long. Um, we were able to score points and move the ball against Notre Dame. The first to go around without Travis Etienne running the ball. So sure. We'll yeah, they, have a new, they, they have a new DC relative to last year. Obviously a lot of personnel turned over, uh, but Clemson wasn't running the ball last year either against Ohio state. Well, yeah. and the other thing they don't have this year is the studs in the secondary. Um, that's as many, as many studs, as yeah. many. That's right. I mean, look, Trevor Lawrence got off on, you know, went off in the running game. Let's put it that way. Uh, last year against Ohio state. And we would expect a little bit more of that. I guess I was just saying more between the tackles handoffs to ETN may not be as effective, but yeah, we'll see. No, but I think if, if, if anything's proven to be consistent is that Tony Elliott's still going to try. Indeed. Anything else to say, guys? Um, I think, uh, sorry, Notre Dame's uh, star defensive players were present in this game. You kind of felt, felt um, number six, <laughs> going to butcher his name if I say it. Um, Screw he, uh, Defensive players. Yeah, defensive players. Um, Sorry, uh, Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa had a great game. He did not lead the team in tackles. That was Kyle Hamilton, who went out with an ankle. Um, hopefully, he's better against Alabama because if he's not, that's going to be a complete blowout. So that might be something to watch. Uh, but anyway, like you know, Notre Dame stars did fine, but they did not have enough playmakers. Um, I don't really know, you know, if, if that Notre Dame team was up for stopping Clemson. You know, to hold us to thirty-four probably is you know, does speak volumes to their defense and to a strong performance. Um, that's about what I would expect against pretty much any defense, any, any good defense, at least 34 points. Do you guys think we left some points on the board? Uh, ultimately. Yeah. I mean, stall drives there um, in the early going, you know, settled for a couple of field goals. Um, the second half, the play calling was a little bit predictable. Um and Notre Dame was starting to get some pressure. So we really didn't adjust that well coming out of the half or when they, you know, it was still kind of the same formula that we were running in the first half and Notre Dame started to key, key in on it. Um, but overall, I think it was a really good offensive performance. Uh, you know, you, you, we've talked about it all year about creating manageable third downs and we weren't sticking to the formula of running on first down every single time. You, well, running with ETN, right? You saw Trevor Lawrence running the ball. You saw some throws out to the flats and we were talking uh, Cody and I, at the beginning of the game, why don't we never do any crossing routes on the, over the middle? And as soon as Cody asked that question, Trevor threw an interception over the middle 
And so that answered that question. <laughs> so, Never gets any practice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Um, otherwise, it was good to see, uh, for the most part, a lot of manageable uh, third downs. And I think that was reflected in the fact that Clemson was 8 of 14 on third down, so over 50%. Yeah, I, I think we lost maybe a little bit of our edge in the in the second half. But I mean, if we wanted to, we, we yeah we could have been in the forties, maybe fifties. But you know, I, you know, I want to give Notre Dame some credit too because they do have a good defense and and one that's comparable to Ohio State, like you said. Till I don't know, I, I look at their defensive lines. I see maybe a few more athletes on on Ohio State's, but it's comparable. Chase Young isn't there, uh, even though you mentioned in the intro. He the Big Ten might allow him to come back uh, through some kind of weird. Uh, waiver I don't, I don't know but rule change some rule change yeah they're they're really wishy-washy there but that aside like i mean they're they're athletic but i think it sets like a nice what do you say like a nice uh baseline or whatever uh for what we should expect from ohio state yeah and you you've also got the factor of they're going to be playing with a lot of emotion on defense you know sean wade in his i'm coming back video i uh, was referencing trevor lawrence um I, I think that's going to be prone to potentially some late hits and penalties. Uh, I don't think Clemson's players are going to back down too much. So hopefully we're not on the receiving end of any flags. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be real chippy looking forward to it. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm not too scared of their defense. As long as Ryan day doesn't try to knock out one of our players. It can be okay. Yeah. He's going to want to, that's for sure. Um, all right. Well guys, why don't we flip it over to defense? Real impressive in this one. Guys, I was pretty convinced they weren't going to score more than three points. And that was on their first drive of the game. I mean, what what a game from Brett Venables and what a game from this defense. Uh, what a difference having a couple of guys back. Really, we had probably four or five guys back um, that didn't play too much in South Bend uh, back on the field in this one. Really, the ones that you felt the presence the most was James Skalski. You mentioned that, Ben, and Tyler Davis. Um, but I, I feel like this was a top-to-bottom, strong defensive performance from this, this Clemson team. And it wasn't just the three guys we talked about, you know, Davis, Skalski, and Mike Jones, but it's also the progression of Trent Simpson um, and then also Malcolm Green coming along, right? You saw big plays from both of those guys uh, early and often in this game. Um, so yeah, it's not just your, your starters and your, your, your veterans that we were missing. It's the young guys growing up, just like we talk about EJ Williams on the offensive side of the ball. So this is really, we're really starting to round into form on defense, um, building depth at certain places. It's also allowing Venables to be much more creative in his, uh, in his scheming, right? The things that he's doing with Trent Simpson, putting him out on the edge and, and having him rush the passer. Uh, the things that he can do with Malton, uh, Malcolm Green and how physical he is. Um, the one that one area that can still concerns me is at the cornerback position. I really do think we need Kendrick and Booth healthy and focused. Um, I don't know what was the deal with Booth, why he didn't start this game. He did get in uh, later on, but those are our two best cornerbacks on the field. I still think Mario Goodrich is a bit of a, a liability in coverage. You know, he had the late hit out of bounds later in the game. Um, so I think, you know, as we, as we start to, to play, you know, next two teams up Ohio state and presumably Alabama, I'm sorry to say it Notre Dame, but that's what I'm predicting. Um, well, we already you know, know I, what we're going to get against them. Yeah. I think we need the, your two yeah. best guys out there uh, and that's Kendrick and Booth. So guys, please stay focused, stay healthy, get out of Dabo's love shack. <laughs> 
whatever he called it. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of that, Ben. And, and make plays like he had been all year. I mean, that Cody, you mentioned that EJ Williams catch reminded you of uh, uh, Justin Ross, whatever, from two years ago. It reminded me of Andrew Booth's interception from earlier in the season. Yeah, Ben, kind of speaking of the love shack, um, Xavier Thomas did not go in this one. We don't know if it's discipline or he wasn't physically able to make it. Uh, but that's, that's you know, imagine this. And this team didn't need any more help getting a pass rush on. Um, I thought Brzee did great. And KJ Henry actually had probably his best best game in a Tiger uniform uh, to date in this one. So Miles Murphy. Comp- yeah, Miles Murphy, always you know, Mr. Consistent. He was snubbed for first, second, or third team all ACC honors. James Skalski tweeted tonight that he really has been the MVP of the defense this year in James Skalski's mind. It's Miles Murphy, Miles true Murphy. freshman. Yeah, which, I mean, I would probably mm. say it's Tyler Davis, but Miles Murphy probably has a claim to that. And wow. Well, and the things that Miles Murphy can do as a freshman, he, are, he hardly ever has any um, busts or bad reads or let's go, like, let, let's go of containment. Um, he, he's a solid tackler. He's super quick. And he also gets out in coverage and plays that well. And just to do all of those things as a true freshman um, with really just, you know, a, a, a shortened uh, fall camp coming in um, to, to kind of get prepared for the season. It is quite amazing what him and Brisset and all these other freshmen have been able to do this year. Yeah, I think between him and Brisset, they've both improved this year. I would say probably more Brisset just because he was a little bit more raw coming in. And he's still Rob. He still plays a little bit upright, but he's so talented. I'm talking about Brise. Uh, you can see his impact was made. I, I agree. Miles Murphy has been, he's been a, a big part of the defense. And if you look at like the injury we, injuries we've had, like if you start looking down the depth chart without him, start looking at replacements, like he has been a huge, a, a very valuable player. But I think what, what makes this defense go is 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 the pressure and i think again i always talk about tyler davis the big thing in this one was he could just shoot his gap time after time and give Brissy some credit because he did the same at the defensive tackle position here's something to think about though guys with notre dame we could we could send extra bodies and we did get some pressure with just our front four but we had to send a lot of extra bodies that was malcolm green you saw dk um obviously skowski and inspector were blitzing a good bit when you're playing Alabama and maybe uh, probably a high state with some speedy receivers that you have to they have to put some double coverage on, you can't send as many bodies. That's when that we'll see how well they progressed and you're going to need a full stable of healthy bodies. You just, you just, when you get to these replacements, I mean, no offense to anybody on the team, but it's just a significant drop off. There's no pressure when the backups are in. So XT needs to be in there. If Justin Foster is, is, is going to be healthy, I doubt it. We need him, and you got to have Brzee and, and Tyler Davis healthy too. Well, Foster Cody. hadn't played all season, so I think that ship has sailed. But I mean, it's yeah. a really good point, Cody, because you know Kirk Herbstreit mentioned into the game, Tiger Illustrated mentioned it in a follow-up article after the game, how you know a lot of those six sacks were, were coverage sacks, um, right. where you know there was some really good coverage uh, downfield that allowed the the defensive line and the linebackers time or anybody rushing uh, the quarterback to get to book. But those are against wide receivers that are like, you know, molded like tight ends. They're not the quickest guys in the world. They're tall guys. So much easier to kind of keep up with, um, if, you know, they're, they're better going up and maybe getting the ball if Book can get it off. 
but when you're playing speedy wide receivers, that's not going to be the same situation. So I totally agree with Cody is that you're going to have to figure out how to do more with less um, in rushing the passer. Cause I think you're not probably going to have to drop a, a couple extra guys back in coverage at times and rely on those front four more. Uh, but I think one thing that we did really well in this game is we cycled in uh, in and out a lot of guys across the defensive front. You're starting to see the emergence of, of, of Ruko. Um, I'm not going to try to say his last name until I get it down pat, um, but he was in there playing uh, significant minutes kind of in the middle part of the game. Uh, so when you can spell those guys and keep their legs fresh, I really think that we started to wear down that Notre Dame offensive line that was missing uh, their starting center, which I'm not sure how much it hurt in this game. I wasn't paying attention too much. There was a, a bad snap early in the game that led to a fumble that book recovered. Um, but yeah, overall, I think heading into the, to the next two games, that um, pressure is going to be important and to get there, um, get home quick. So those the guys in the secondary don't have to stay in coverage longer against these faster, quicker wide receivers. I mean, the game I always think about, the quintessential good quarterback was neutralized by the Clemson defense is the Alabama 2018 national title game where you had Tua. And yes, you know, a lot has been said about Brent Venables and the movement of the secondary around to kind of bait Tua into throwing two picks, which he did. Uh, But you got to think about who's rushing the passer in that game. And it was the Power Rangers. We don't have the Power Rangers this year, but... Mac Jones and Justin Fields are not Tua. So guys, I feel like, you know, I I kind of like our chances running the ball. Yeah. And they're not even running the ball. I mean, Justin Fields can, he, he, he can do that. Um, But I, the big question is going to be, is he going to have the time and Notre Dame or I'm sorry, Ohio state's uh, offensive line. If they have a, you know, a, a soft spot, it's going to be in the pass protection game. And, Justin Fields, if you kind of look at where his attempts and where his completions go, it's really to two guys. He's not spreading the ball around. And, you know, something that you can glean from that, and I, I kind of noticed at least in the first half against Northwestern, he seems like a single-read quarterback. And we've had those on this football team at Clemson before. And, you know, when they don't have that read, they either try to force it to that guy or they take a sack or potentially in Fields' case, he might tuck it and run. And um, that is going to be where I think it's going to be important, number one, to for our, our starting corners to be able to keep up with the lobby. And is it Garrett Wilson? Is that their second wide receiver? Um, be able to keep up with them, you know, without needing you – know, certainly they'll have safety help, but are you going to be able to get after the, after the quarterback without, you know, blitzing too many guys? Well, and I think it may be, maybe not so much against Justin Fields. Maybe we'll, we'll still have to have a spy on him and Trent Simpson. But I think against Alabama, you can kind of let Trent Simpson loose. Uh, not necessarily need to spy on Matt Jones um, because of, you know, the threat of, of him running and scrambling is not nearly the same as Ian Book or, or Justin Fields. So I think that can help mitigate that problem uh, should we make it to a matchup against Alabama. Um, and I will like to give book props for that one scramble he had that was just absolutely amazing. He forgot to get rid of the ball before he lost the yard, um, but he ran forever. And then I don't know if you saw at the end of the play, Tyler Davis kind of just running after him and losing some steam and just trip over book and just do a belly flop <laughs> onto the sidelines. It was pretty comical. Yeah, Every time I see Tyler Davis moving around, I like it like in that way, I get a little scared because yeah. 
worried about injury. In book played really well. I'll give him a lot of credit in both matchups this whole season. He's been he's been a really good quarterback. There, there is a bit of a Johnny Manziel, a slower, probably less talented, you know, less uh, less partying version uh, of, that is in book is. He's, he was really good. I'll give him a lot of credit. Catholic Baker Mayfield. Catholic Johnny there Manziel. There you go. And what is, uh, what is Mayf- uh, Manziel to Southern Ian Book? Hmm. Cocaine Ian Book. <laughs> you have to tell me about that reference later on. But, um, but no, I think Ian Book was good. The difference in this one, and our friend Dan, who, was, uh, who nobly sat beside me and Ben, Notre Dame fan, and watched – the game uh, with us. That was a bad decision. You know, he, he <laughs> felt like, man, our team's not playing really well. God, it was you know bad time to break out your worst game of the year. And it's like, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think our defense had a little something, something to do with that. Yeah, this isn't golf. Like it's not, you know, you're, you're playing another team, right? They're not just swinging the club poorly. And, and that other team had this crazy number 47 linebacker that, that wasn't in the first matchup that were like, God, did Skalski make his presence felt? Ooh, like, was... And I didn't even re- – and nothing against Venables because he's, he's a quality linebacker. He's, he's knowledgeable. He doesn't miss things. He just doesn't have the speed and the strength that Skalski has and probably a little bit of the intuition now that Skalski has. And then Tyler Davis just blowing up the middle uh, in Bercy. So, yeah, there's, there's a huge difference to have those guys back and – Book did all he can, but the difference was us being able to get pressure. Skalski had a fire under him in this one. He was chatty. He was in on every play. Um, he got blown Eddie, up one time rushing. Yeah, by by, uh, <laughs> by the, the running, running back. back. Yeah, just pretty comical. <clears throat> yeah, I didn't care for Herbie's chastising of Skalski for talking some smack um, on the field. Let the man talk. It's they're running their gum. They're flapping their gums in the in the break leading into the game. So it's football. It's not a peewee game. That's right. Thankfully. Uh, well, great defensive performance. Um, Notre Dame was able to score a touchdown. I forget. Was it a penalty, guys, that uh, extended that drive? No, it was. Yeah, it was Nolan Turner's targeting. So I guess we should talk about that. Uh, when Turner was ejected for targeting. It gave, it was going to end the series or it was, yeah, it was going to end that series, um, gave them new life. They turned around and scored on the next play. Um, Clemson had somebody in there and that happened in the second half. So Nolan Turner, due to this amazing targeting rule um, and the enforcement of it is going to miss the first half of the sugar bowl. Um, Guys, like the natural thing for us to do is question when Clemson's up 34 to three, why do we have such a key playmaker in there? But you could also ask yourself, like, why did he launch with the helmet as well? And yeah, yeah you know, Notre Dame's guy kind of like ducked down or whatever. But um, at this point, you know, you got to imagine Nolan Turner's been coached to know to not do that. Um, it was the right. Well, number one, it was the right from an officiating standpoint. It was the right call. It was clearly targeting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think the rule has helped because you don't see it as much anymore. But what I still think is ridiculous is, I mean, there's, I've I've already talked about kicking kids out of games and, um, and this goes for any player on any team. Um, I think there should be more like the, the technical one and technical two in the NBA. Um, I also don't think, I, I think no matter what time of game it is, you should just be out for the rest of the game. I think sitting somebody for the first half of the next game is just foolish. 
Well, it's punitive, but is it really preventative? Right. And don't even get me started on if you if it happens to you the second half of the last game of the season, you have to sit out the first half of the of the next game of the season. Like that's like Skowski did. Like that's it's, it's yeah. No one's if you remove you know if you basically contain it to this calendar year in bowl games, you're not going to see a shit ton of head hunting. Yeah. Right. Like let's be honest. So. Um, and, and listen, yeah. it wasn't an it wasn't a malicious play. Like he had intent out there headhunting. Throw him out for the rest of the game. But the, to do the first half in the next game, like the it is punitive. The rules are are stupid in that regard. I'm all for the player safety part of it, but I think you have to do it um, in, in an intelligent way or a reasonable way. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think there's any more I can add. I mean, it's and the only other thing Tully you said was should Nolan Turner be playing at this point in the game? And I think, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't think I'm not going to like second guess Venables. I, yeah, I worry more about injury than I do targeting, but unfortunately you have to think about targeting now. Right. Exactly. And maybe he would have been subbed out after that series, after that play, if that was going to be only a few minutes left in the game, maybe they would have brought, you know, s- some different guys in, but um, anyway, it's a bummer. It did happen. You know, it's not like Ohio State is the most high-flying, high-powered offense. I think if this was Alabama, that would be a huge issue. Um, so, you know, I don't love it having Turner out for the Sugar Bowl for the first half, but I think Clemson can absorb that. You know, next man up, Joseph Charleston's going to have to show out in that position, and I think he's up to it. Or maybe, you, do, you know, if it's not, you don't kick him out for the rest of the game if it happens in the second half. Maybe you just kick him out for the first quarter or something. I mean, even that, I think it's stupid, but the whole half thing is harsh. Yeah, it's, it's super it's, harsh. It's ridiculous. It, it's it's really tough. I know it it was a clear targeting, but and again, we'll say, yeah, that was the right call. But just physics, it's hard when you're in real time, when you're leading and the guy is going down, you have no time to respond. If the guy were up, you can, you can tuck your shoulder. He had nowhere to go. Anyhow, it, like it's hard to measure intent. And it, of course, if we did a technical one and technical two, at some point, the subjective nature of that would, would lead the referees to, you know, blow in a call that way, but they do it in face mask penalties. They used to, I, I think it's all 15 yards now, Ben. Or maybe it's it used to be five and 15 used to be like incidental versus. Well, maybe whatever. they still do it in the NFL, but you know, it's possible. I'm just saying, you know, we, we, yeah. I guess the alternative, he could leave, leave his feet and drop kicking in the head. Does that, get, does that get kicked out for a half? No, it actually doesn't. <laughs> so anyhow, I don't think there's any more we can, we could say about that. It's unfortunate, but I, I agree totally. I think we should be okay for Ohio state. Yes. Um, all right. Well, I think that's it for the defensive side of the ball. Um, this, you know, continues to be a part of the Clemson football team that's evolving throughout the season. I guess, guys, I don't know. I mean, this probably was the defense's most complete performance, which is really something to see. Um, you probably could point to like the Pittsburgh game as one that was also um, exceptional. So. Uh, they put a couple together in a row. I think even the Virginia Tech game, like as squirrely as that thing was early on, um, this team has continued to rack up just impressive performances and getting guys back, getting guys healthy uh, has made all the difference. You know, Clemson is going to face a couple potent offenses coming up. So it's really good to see them peaking in this moment. Uh, very important if Clemson is to compete for another national title this year. And the prospect of getting XT back, I think, 
you know, against a, a Notre Dame, you don't necessarily need him, but against an Alabama where, um, again, being able to generate an organic pass rush with your four down linemen uh, will make a big difference. Or if they choose to go with sort of the um, inverted cover two sort of dime looks, um, XT, Tyler Davis, and Miles Murphy in that, in that look is also critical that those guys can get home and then you can send blitzers around them. Um, let's just get, let's get that last piece back into this defense, which is an organic pass rush. And, you know, hopefully we see both health and disciplinary things be put behind us in the secondary because, um, you know, yeah, seeing Booth out there with DK would be, would be a, a welcome sight. Um, and look, like the first quarter guys, we haven't really talked about the flow of the game too much here, but um, no, it reminded me a lot actually of last year's Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State, where uh, Notre Dame really for the first three, four series uh, was kind of not doing what they wanted, but they were definitely, you know, moving the ball down the field and Clemson, like Clemson didn't seem to have much going early on, at least in the first series. We, you know, they were moving the ball and we had the interception, but um, I, I, I just thought like if Notre Dame was able to score touchdowns, not field goals and actually go up by two plus scores, let's say a 10, 10, nothing lead. Then I thought they might've been able to move into more of the Virginia tech ball control, keep away sort of situation, slow this game way down, limit Clemson's possessions. And um, that just really didn't come to bear. And I think they squandered a lot of their opportunities. They made, what was it like a 57, 51 yarder, 51. Yeah. 51 yarder. They missed a chip shot. Uh, which wasn't good. And they were, they were in the deep in the red zone, could not punch that one in for a touchdown. And then um, yeah, just kind of unraveled from there for Notre Dame's offense. And I think some of that, you know, you gotta, gotta put on Brent Venables making adjustments and, you know, really the game plan was the containing book, like make him stay in the pocket. You're likely to get home with your pass rush then or your blitzes. And book also wasn't up to the task to find receivers in that moment. I think early on when he was, he was moving outside the pocket, he, um, he was able to find guys early. And I was a little worried that I was like, man, if he's shredding us like this, like what is, what are the next two quarterbacks going to do? But um, contain, that's why it's going to be really important to contain Mac Jones and Justin Fields. Uh, because, you know, I think with the personnel we had out there, um, our secondary looked a little prone early on in this game. So guys, you know, not too many notes here in this game around special teams. E.T. Potter hit his field goals. Good, good for him. Um, three decent punts. What about E.T.N. though in the return game? He's been he's been coming on of late in the kick returns. Well, you saw the same thing last year, starting with the South Carolina game. Once this Clemson team gets into championship phase, Dabo puts him in. You put your best guy back there, and um, I mean, he had one good return um the the 37 yarder where you know it was just the kicker between him and the end zone and he put a pretty good lick on that kicker um but to that kicker's uh credit uh door he took that shot and got right back up so that's a couple games in a row where etn has had some uh interactions with some kickers when he uh what was which game was it where he went well it was notre dame oh was was it End of the first half, right? Oh, yeah, the field goals. That was twice. Uh, That was the holder the first time. I think it was Bramblett, their holder, the first time. Um, Yeah, all Travis had to do was cut in. I think he did kind of a half jump, but he he did take that guy out as well. Kind of hard to, you know, secure that first-round draft status if you can't get past the kickers. 
Let's work on that. Uh, but a resounding team win, guys. Good one. 34 to 10. Hope you all bet the Clemson line in this one. Uh, 10 and a half was not enough. So um, 24, I don't know that we expected that type of game. I mean, Ben, we were talking a little bit about the likelihood of a three-score Clemson win, especially bouncing back. Um, and that, that technically is what we saw. You know, you can get to 24 points in just three possessions if you are doing it right. Uh, but yeah, great game. Uh, sixth consecutive title. I felt like this was one of my favorites, you know, across the six, um, just to see that potential of the team realized. I think in each of the previous ones, we already knew what we had from a Clemson team. And this one was new validation of that, uh, which is awesome to see. And it's kind of, I don't know, guys, like this may be an unsavory anecdote, but, you know, when you're, you know, when you're, you know, a drug addict chasing that high, getting that same level of high is hard to achieve. I think that's true of like, you know, a football fan for a very successful program, you know, feeling that level of joy about your team, you know, seems to get harder and harder. So um, it was good to, good to get that high again. Well, I guess in that case, I like these drugs. Um, uh, <laughs> well, it, let, me, let me step in and say, I agree totally. If there's a way to get back to that high, like Ohio State and Alabama present the opportunity to do, to do so because right. the revenge factor with Ohio State and just Alabama and, and win a national championship, and they're, and they're good. And the number one team in the country. Yeah. Um, I mean, this, yeah, this yeah. would be an impressive path, right? You know, you beat the number two team, Notre Dame, in a revenge game. Then you come in, Ohio State's now the, the three seed. But they're, a, they're a, as blue blood as you get in this sport. And then there they are, fifth fifth rematch against Alabama, number one team in the country. Yeah, and, you know, beating Notre Dame in the ACC championship game. Again, if we're just focusing on this game and this regular season, I think the storyline here is the loss to Notre Dame um, in South Bend earlier in the year and then coming back and avenging that loss and preventing Notre Dame from taking that ACC championship trophy home. Guys, like, have you found it? noteworthy at all and I, I i think i know why this is but not much has been made about clemson avenging the lsu loss and i don't mean avenging it against lsu they're nowhere to be seen um they did get a nice win against florida but it's you just and it, maybe that was the case back in 2015 into 16 that it was like we lost to alabama and we got to vanquish vanquish them for the title um maybe that's it maybe it's all the distractions with covid uh, maybe it's losing to Notre Dame and having to avenge that loss, but I just really haven't heard much all year about getting that bad taste of the natty loss out of our, out of our collective mouths. And I, I would, I would have thought it would be a bigger talking, talking point. I think part of it was, and just us like fans, like we left that stadium last year saying, damn, that team was really good. And you know what? You pick up the pieces, you turn the page to next year and you move on and they suck. Yeah. Again. Right. I think that's entirely what it is. They, they were that good in that moment. We all knew it. Unlike other opponents we played, we know when we faced a superior team, it's rare that it happens, but when it does, we know it. And then, yeah, they fell off the face of the earth this year. In some ways, though, I'm sure the players, I mean, they're, they've only been here for you know one to four years. So to them, yeah, I think it probably sits on them, and they're, they're going to use that as fuel against doesn't matter who they play. Well, they and less if it's LSU or if it's Alabama. And probably a big part of the reason that Travis Etienne decided to come back this year is leaving with that taste in his mouth. Yeah. 
All right, guys. Well, that's as good a point as any to move us on to the playoff talk. So, guys, like, we know which bowl game Clemson is in. Um, any thoughts or comments about, you know, the, the shift out of California for the Rose Bowl, the Dallas? And then we, we thought that's where we were going to be because typically this thing is awarded based on proximity to a campus, uh, which would have been New Orleans for Alabama. But then they decided to put them in Dallas because there's more seating capacity in the state of Texas in terms of what's allowed. Well, Alabama chose. NFL stadiums. The, the, they, the, the number one team gets the opportunity to choose. Um, I and, didn't. I thought that. Okay. I, I did not think that that was the case. Maybe that's an exception for this year. I thought it was always decided by pretty much ESPN and or the committee. No, I think it's generally the number proximity. one. I think generally the number one team has the opportunity to make that selection. And this year, Alabama decided on uh, Dallas because of the fact that they were to be able to allow more fans in there. And honestly, it's not so, that, so, that much further for their fans. So you're telling me back in 2017, Dabo could have picked the Rose Bowl, but he picked the Sugar Bowl to play Alabama. Yeah, because it's closer for your fans. Man, Makes sense. Rose Bowl. Who cares? It's a Big Ten Pac-12 Bowl. Screw them. Beautiful. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm sure it is, and we were really excited. It's driving distance. Uh, well, for us, yeah. Um, and we were really excited when we when we saw that it was going to be here, and we hope to get our opportunity to go there and see Clemson play and see the pageantry of the bowl itself. But at the end of the day, yeah, it was the, completely the right decision. Like, it's stupid to have – you know, teams from east of the uh, Mississippi fly out here, play in a stadium where there's going to be no fans. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. In, in a place that doesn't even care about college football, really. Like, nobody cares about college football here. Even in, in, around schools like USC, UCLA, Stanford, Cal. Um, so, so the fact that you couldn't have fans and it wasn't going to be a huge financial hit to the Rose Bowl. Listen, they still get to name it the Rose Bowl, even though they originally – uh, um, you know, didn't want, didn't want that. They refused to do that. Um, still call the rules. Well, it doesn't matter where it is. They'll still get their TV revenue and all that good stuff. And, you know, the guys don't have to fly an extra, you know, 1500 miles to get there. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, it is a good thing that fans are gonna be able to see their team families as well. The travel thing to me, you're on a plane. Like, what does it really matter? Um, I guess it does matter for fans, you know, and, and families to be able to get out there because the schools sure aren't paying for that. So it makes sense. But um, anyway, I'm not trying to argue it should have stayed in California at all, uh, especially with no fans. So, um, well, the matchups are set. Uh, Notre Dame did squeak in over Texas A&M. I did not watch that show, guys. Uh, was doing doing stuff on Sunday morning. It was four hours, right? My goodness. Uh, they put a long tail on that kite, but um, I think they got it right. Like ultimately Notre Dame had the better wins, not just win wins than Texas A&M. And I don't, they did not have as egregious a loss. And I just think they're a better football team top to bottom than A&M is. Well, and they were going to what pit A&M against Alabama again too. And yeah, you've already Texas seen that. You, you look at Texas A&M schedule and, it's not impressive, especially after seeing what Florida did against LSU. So, yeah, I think they certainly got it right with the top four. Well, I think they got it right with teams one, two, and four. Um, 
I mean, I think ultimately, I guess if you're saying that um, it is the best four teams, if this season played out, I imagine Ohio State would be one of the, the best four teams. Maybe not because they, you know, you saw them in that championship game against Northwestern not look great. But the biggest deal that I have with it is that they're rewarding the Big Ten Conference with a spot in the playoff and all that money by putting in half the effort of what the rest of the conference is and what the rest of the teams did this year. I'm not holding grudges against the players. I'm not holding grudges against the coaches. Um, I'm only holding grudges against Ohio State fans because of how butthurt they seem to be about everything. Um, But listen, you know, at the end of the day, the schedule is what it is. I think it was... I think it was beautiful that Dabo had them ranked at 11. I thought that was hilarious. And I thought that he actually thought it was true. Um, You know, I think the fact that they kept moving Cincy down um, was ridiculous and left Florida with three lost team uh, ahead of them. But, you know, I think a lot of big part of it on the committee too, and this may have an effect during a COVID year where there's a lot of lost revenue that they're trying to pack the top four teams with the people that are going to, you know, have the best ratings and put the most money um, in, in their pockets and in the conference's pockets. But I think, I just don't think the big 10 deserved it this year from, from, um, from that point of view, um, they had every opportunity and now you see them, they talk about player safety yet. They keep changing the rules. Um, you know, loosening their, their COVID protocol. So Ohio state can have a couple of guys back, which don't get me wrong. Like I want Ohio state to be at full strength. If we're going to play them, I really do. Like, I don't want the, to have to deal with the same thing that, uh, Notre Dame did where Clemson was missing, uh, several guys. Um, yeah, I think this is a point where I, I'm not trying to take the Big Ten or Ohio State side. A 21-day protocol makes no sense if the CDC is reducing 14 days to 10 days to 7 days exposure. You right. know, if, if the governing body of disease control in our country is saying 7 days, we can, uh, we can let them adjust. I, we know why they're doing it. It's to, benefit, it's to allow Chris Olave to play in this game. Make no qualms about it. That is the deal. But looking at the essence of what is being changed, like, it's fine. Like, I'm fine with it. So, all right. So, guys, we're arguing, uh, you know, most podcasts and most college football media would be talking about Texas A&M versus Notre Dame. We're talking about Ohio State and their merits. Well, I think we've already made the case for Texas A&M that they're not that good. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I would say you're having to heavily rely on last year's body of work. You, you, yeah. you know, give Dabo all the grief you want. There's nothing they've done all year that, and there are six games that says, wow, that's the third best team in the country. Like, I mean, what they did last year and knowing they have a lot of the same pieces back, that's what you have to just kind of extrapolate a little yeah. bit and assume that they're that good. But yeah, I mean, if you're just going off body of work, they're oh. not the, they're not the third best team in the country. And they're, they don't have those pieces back. They're down it's true. defensive players and coach. Uh, Jeff Halfley's in Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts right now. Um, you know, and half that defense is on an NFL roster this Sunday. So, yeah, Cody, like, let's put it this way. It would not shock me to see Ohio State completely get out class and blown off the field. And Texas A&M, like, will they have a gripe then? Probably. But – in the, in the four playoff field with things being what they are. Like, I just think that's, that's what happens. And Texas A&M just don't get blown out by 28. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm, 
I'm not holding against the players. I'm not holding against the coaching staffs. I, I think it should be more penalty on the big 10 and how they bungle things. And um, they just did not contribute to college football as much as the other conferences um, have this year, the power five included. So, ben, but Ben, do you give them any, uh, I don't know, the spirit of what they were doing was, you know, the optics at least were in the interest of player safety. So like, you, I mean, but how has that played out as the season's gone along? Have they gone back on that? Have they had less COVID outbreaks than other? I mean, fair enough. Fair that should be a lot of that where the headlines and the hypocrisy of, of all this should, right. all the virtue signaling they've done. There's that word again, but no, like, but like you, but you're faulting them for at least a good gesture. Like again, a good virtue signal. But I have the benefit of hindsight. Yeah. At this point in the season, again, not holding against the players or coaches. Um, you know, I, I, and I, I really feel for them. Like, you know, those teams wanted, the teams wanted to play Justin Fields and his guys at Ohio yeah. state wanted to play a full season. They fought for it and they should have been allowed to um, just kind of looking at everything back in hindsight. But um, yeah, I just don't think the conference should be rewarded with the money that they're going to get for the playoff when they've only contributed a half of what everybody else has. So guys, like there's a lot to like so much ink has already been spilled about the selection, who was left out, where the final rankings actually landed. Um, I want to give you both the chance to comment on Dabo's coaches poll ranking of Ohio State at 11. Um, clearly a petty move, potential power move here ahead of this game. I think he likes his team. I think he likes his chances. I think he's willing to risk the bulletin board material because he's not too worried. Um, and look, Dabo may have a good case. Like they haven't proven it. That said, they're not the 11th team, 11th best team in the country. Right. Yeah. Well, so we know that a lot of times it's the sports information direct directors that are, um, that vote in these coaches polls. Um, but I have to imagine that this time around, um, who, well, Dabo, whomever, whomever, Dabo's whole Grace Rayner of The Athletic, he always fills out his own every single week. Okay, fair enough. Well, I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say, even if he, if he doesn't usually, you know that he was responsible for, <laughs> for this, that, for that yeah, alone. Yeah, this one's got his fingerprints all over it. Absolutely. Um, I don't, I don't hate it one bit. I think that's some, some gamesmanship right it's there. Fun. Yeah. yeah. And listen, on the other side of the ball, um, you know, even Ian Book talking, going into the game, the ACC championship game about, you know, he guaranteed a win or whatever. And then the video coming out of the Ohio State locker room of Ryan Day um, talking about how they were going to kick the ass of any team that they get matched up against. Like, I don't mind that. I want my players and coaches to be confident like that. What is Ryan Day supposed to say? Well, um, you know, there's there's two teams that I don't think we can beat. So I sure as hell hope we get Notre Dame. Or what do you want Ian Book to say? Um, uh, I'm not planning on winning this game. No, you want them to be confident. I mean, I think you talk to the kid who let that video go um, out into the public um, of Ryan Day in the locker room, but I don't fault him at all. Um, and I think there's a huge fan overreaction. It's like, is that bulletin board material? What, what the hell do you want him to say? Of course, he's going to talk his team up to win. That's what you want Dabo to say behind closed doors too. Likely with less F-bombs. At, got dang dang it hot dang it anyhow that dad gum dad gum there it is um i think so i think you talked about the bull, bulletin board material I, I think Dabo knew exactly what he was doing he knew exactly he knew it'd be a big p he wasn't trying to 
ruffle their feathers. He just knew the consequences of putting the number 11, that there was going to be bulletin board material. Why would he do that? Maybe it's an integrity move because that's what he believes they deserve to be ranked. But more than anything, I think he's just not afraid of them in the same way he wasn't afraid of them in 2016 when we beat them 31 to zero. Yeah, 31 to zero. So uh, what I'm saying is, folks, gamblers, bet Clemson to cover. They will. I think it's only right. six points. That's that's like that's that's great value. Yeah. Well, and this Ohio State team is a shell of their former former selves from last year. Like, make no mistake, that Ohio team, uh, that Ohio State team last year was a very very good football team. They were they were right in line. I'm still like, covered then too. They were right neck and neck. I don't care. Like, <laughs> what was the line last year? Like two and a half. Um, um, that was a really good football team last year. They were, in my mind, every bit as good as, as Clemson. I thought that's one of those games where maybe you play ten times, just because of how physical they were on the defensive side of the ball. Um, that was an amazing team, and I mentioned it um, earlier this season. I think that I would have been really interested to see what Ohio State's defense could have done against LSU's offense last year. That might have been a better matchup for them, especially since Clemson didn't have. Um, wasn't able to get a lot of pressure with their defensive line just because, you know, we're, we didn't have the, the talent on the roster and the bodies on the roster last year. So that was – do not want to take anything away from that Ohio State team last year. But this team is just not that good, not as, as good as they were. And to think and say that they are takes away from that team last year unless, again, they allow Chase Young to come back. Uh, so, guys, and – this is probably an off-season episode in and of itself, but where are you on a four-team playoff relative to an expansion? And the one of the arguments that Bud Elliott and Barton Simmons made on their very excellent podcast over at 24-7 Sports is it's not about going to eight, finding a new champion among the, what, five, six, seven, eight seeds. You might see that happen once a decade, but it is about the enabling every region of this country to, to participate in the highest level of the sport so that you can retain fans and you can really enable kind of like high revenue events to happen where you distribute the resources of this sport across the country. And that is an argument that I haven't heard yet toward an eight, 18 playoff that is a very compelling argument. And, you know, you want to talk about um, these blowouts are going to be really bad. If the semifinals are already blowouts most years, what is it going to be like? Like, that's just the deal. And, you know, if you want to avoid that as a Texas A&M or who would be like the six seed or seven seed this year, like you want to avoid that, like, don't, don't put yourself in that position to be there. Don't get blown out earlier in the year. And then you may sneak in as a four seed. I think it opens up, it makes things a lot more compelling and interesting later in the year you know, what you, what you have, what I want to say though, and I want to get your guys take on this is like, we can't just add what would this be like a 16th game to the schedule for these college football athletes that aren't making any money, putting themselves at risk. So what gives then? And I think the other one thing, cupcake. One bullshit so, game earlier in that's the an, so that's an easy thing to say, Ben, but the cupcakes are actually important for the longevity of the sport also. And like, I don't want to get into this too deep, but you have to have a buy game or a money game to pay the FCS team or the G5 team so that they can have a program so that you can get, you know, the guy at your high school that is not a four-star, five-star blue chipper going to a P5, 
you, you basically want to be able to have high school athletics. You got to have the whole system working. The money has to flow down and trickle down. So I don't think you can entirely get rid of people always talk about, let's go to a 10 game conference only schedule and then schedule like two power conference opponents. You really have to keep those scrubby type games every year. Well, that's where if you had an actual, you know, competent functioning governing body over the sport, maybe there's some type of, you know, equity. Like an association uh, of yeah. national collegiate athletics, something, something like, like that. that ben? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, maybe there's some type of, equity thing where those schools get you know a portion of whatever yes. maybe it's some right, extra right. playoff game revenue to keep their programs going but i mean there's got to be a better yeah. way to keep those programs going than having them go up and get their ass kicked by 70 points against right. a, a you know a division one team um I, I think that is a really interesting take on the on the eight game playoff um and I ultimately think that we're going to end up with an eight game playoff. And my thought was always that the, the um, you know, the five conference champions from the power five get in and you get three at large teams. Um, and I think more often than not, you're going to get, that's going to allow a group of five team yeah. in, in, into that mix. Um, but remember, you know, as soon as you make it eight teams, the ninth teams, the ninth team is going to complain about it. Right. And say you should go to 16. So there, there does have to be a stopping point, but I think the fact that you could get a better representation across the country, much like the NCAA tournament does. Um, and, you know, once those teams start to get in there and once you get into the playoff as the eighth seed, you know, that brings more notoriety to your school and recruits might, you know, you might pick up some more recruits and then you become a better football program, right? It, it does open the door. Um, so I, I think there's a pathway to doing it for sure. I, I think you have to eliminate a regular season game and I think it should be, I, I just don't think there should be um, uh, FBS and FCS teams playing each other. Yes, there's the occasional upset, um, but I mean, come on. At least the group of the Power Five teams should not be playing them. So, um, so a couple things. You guys mentioned replay, like taking off a, a game on the schedule because you're theoretically playing one more game, or hell, if if they're talking about sixteen teams, so that would be two more games. I, I don't think it's playing that, right? What's that? What's that? Only only two teams are going to get the sixteenth game. No, I mean a sixteen team playoff, not a sixteen game oh, schedule. Gotcha. So, I don't think it's a one to one type deal. I think for like for one, you're talking about the pay for play and all this. You're playing. Clemson knows how how grueling it is playing those three games at the end of the year. It would be a conference championship, and then up to three up to three games after that. Yeah, Maybe if you four. go to eight, if it's an eight-team playoff, you have a quarterfinal, a semifinal, a final. So then you're at 16 games if you win the national title or you're the runner-up. If you go to a 16-team playoff, then you have a 17th game. That's that's you like just, a, yeah. But again, that starts to, you know, only the top two teams get the 17th. So I think if you're if we're just talking about adding a 16th game, you know, that's only the top two teams. Um so I, I can't be, see it scaled in the right way. And to be honest with you, I mean, if, if, if I was to ask you guys this question and you were going to answer honestly, what's the most exciting part of, of, of our season? ACC championship game onward. Maybe the South Carolina game onward, right? So it will benefit Clemson, the Clemson well, fan base from an entertainment value as long as we're this good. It, well, you could make the argument too, you do kind of undermine the regular season, which they say that we're that you, you kind of already done that, but. You undermine the I don't think you do with seed, you I don't think put, you do because of seeding though. Like seeding of that eight team true. 
eight, that Here, the eight teams is a way I, to I say agree. like so that yeah that's a way to kind of temper just this proclamation that it's going to kill the regular season um so a couple ideas i i want to kind of throw out there we got to do away with divisions divisions are stupid we've seen that in acc this year i think it worked out well you know the two best teams did end up like if we were in the atlantic with notre dame we would have been sol we, clemson would not have made the acc title game if they stuffed notre dame into the atlantic for the season how silly is that like i think we've got a proof point if the sec had not had divisions, A&M would have played Bama in the SEC title game. They could have had their shot to make it in. So I think right away, like divisions are stupid. You do want to talk about having, you know, these rivalry games that you continue to play fine. You can do a pod system where Clemson plays FSU every year and Georgia Tech, and then you rotate everybody else in the league. Depending on how you do that, you can play every, you, you could go, you can play every single team once every two years, like, in, in a 14 team conference, you'd be able to do that. So um, like that's kind of one approach. Well, I think the way that we do divisions in that your overall conference record counts. So the Atlantic, the ACC Atlantic has been um, typically the better side of the division the past several years, at least as, as long as Clemson. Top and top and middle class. Right? right. So if you're, if your schedule happens to shake out, if you're on the coastal side, that you're playing Clemson and the next best team, whereas the eventual number one team in the coastal side plays the two worst teams from the other side, like you're getting screwed. There's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not equal um, in that sense. So I think it's in part the way that we do divisions. Um, the cross division, the constant rival, like mix that up too. We don't, I don't, who cares about playing Georgia Tech every year? Is it that important? Not to me, but... I understand having like historical rivals you want to continue to play. I think we should trim the fat and just cut it down to like nine, 10 teams. Make that your conference schedule. Do we need Syracuse anymore? Well, I get one thing totally going back to your kind of original premise. You said that open it up to eight, maybe 16 teams allows for more, I don't know, like inclusivity. I like, think eight, I think eight is right. Yeah. Um, okay. 16 is a little crazy. Like who was the 16th team this year? Like Wisconsin or something? Like, this is, they a, belong in, this yeah. is not college basketball where the, you know, a four seed has a legitimate shot of winning a national championship. Right. On any given day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're right. Yep. So I'm anyway, just, Cody, yeah, I'm trying to play that. Eight trying to play the devil's advocate a little bit. And I get, cause I guess the premise is that this will open it up to more, a larger field, uh, more, uh, you know, represent, representation across the country. Uh, a, a non-power five team will get, a, will get a seat at the table, which will be nice. But I think like, what, why is that necessary now? Because like, I think what, what's happening right now with four teams is that we're diminishing the, theoretically the other bowl games. That's the unintended consequences of a consequence of a 14 playoff wouldn't we be even further diminishing other non eight, not the top eight teams and, and the other bowl games. So I, I don't know. I just, I, I, have you watched those bowl games? Well, some of them have five and six, I teams, guess Cody, six like six teams. I mean, right now you only got four teams that are benefiting. Then you go to like, uh, maybe another, you got to look at a map, look at a map of the teams that have gone to the playoff over the course of the college football playoff it's very heavily Southeast, right? The less you have West coast teams and look like, you know, it's chicken and egg. People don't give a shit about college football 
they're not represented. They're not seeing local teams playing in these big games. Um, Same with kind of the North, like you've got Ohio state, but other than them, like basically it was Oregon and Oregon has won a playoff game and then Ohio state and like almost nobody outside of the Southeast has participated. If that continues to happen five more years, you could obviously see like Georgia is eventually going to get back. Maybe like it's going to be Clemson. It's going to be Alabama. It's going to be maybe LSU figures it back out. Like, it's going to be a lot of Southeast and the more, like the less and less you go through, like basically in another generation of, of high school athletes, they're not going to play football. They're not going to want to play college football. And like, I don't know, the talent pool dwindles. I mean, these are like doomsday scenarios, but like, well, like, and you're saying that's going to be entirely because we didn't have Cal in a, in a, in a eight in, in a top eight playoff ranking. That's why, because it was Clemson and Notre Dame or it was Ohio state and Alabama. That's why rather than having Cal or Oregon in the, in the playoff, that's why we, they're going to quit playing football. I don't know. I don't buy, I mean, I, I get, there's a benefit to having more teams in it. And I, but more than anything, what I see is it's a cash cow in the same way basketball is a, a cash cow. And it's like, there's just too many people that are going to line their pockets. If we go to 16 teams, Cause it would, I mean, it would be quite the spectacle. I mean, I get it. Again, I think. I do think will make you, more money with eight. Yeah. And I do think if you give other teams an opportunity to get in that, that can increase your chance, your, your recruiting um, uh, just by virtue of the exposure. So I, I can see an improvement in that leading to a little bit more parity across the board, but still, when you look at the, the top eight teams right now, um, you know, you'd be adding in, uh, what uh, two more SEC teams in Florida and Texas A and M? Um, you'd be adding in Cincinnati, and you'd be adding in Oregon, o- Oklahoma this year. Well, and you'd add Oregon if we make it a, a Power Five conference champion. Oh, right. So yeah. So, so you don't just go on the eight. Like you, you'd have some auto qualification type stuff. Add in a four and two Oregon team. I yeah, they got a good defense. I know it's not. Defense. I know it's not usually the case, but um, right. There should be a clause if one one conference kind of craps the bed and their conference championship has uh, their conference winner has three losses and there's you know eight other legitimate teams. But the NFL is not like that though. I mean, like this isn't the NFL. It's college football. Yeah, yeah, it's fair. Um, I don't know. For like, I've always been an advocate of four. I felt that going to eight potentially waters it down, and or you have. Clemson having to play games, maybe guys get hurt, all those kind of things. But I do think for that's football, though. It is football, and I just you call the ACC I, championship game the the you know the quarterfinal game, right? It's essentially I think what if there is championships are now. Yeah, like if there's an opportunity to not to yes, you remove, and I'm I'm with you, Ben. Like let's remove the FCS game. Um, find a way to continue to have the ecosystem be healthy by distributing some of this revenue around. Um, then, I mean, it, I don't know, you could get political real quick here, but basically, I don't know. I just like, I think, I think it would be very interesting for the sport to move in that direction. And it does suck for Cincinnati. What really sucks for them is they didn't get the chance to prove it this year against power five competition. Um, they're next year though. I think they're playing, who are they playing? They're playing Indiana. I don't know. They've, they've got like, who was a surprisingly good team this year. Right. So if Cincinnati can kind of do um, Bearcats 2021 schedule, this is good, good podcasting here. Um, 
like what I don't know, like if they can do this next year and kind of, you know, beat their power five competition, like you kind of got to do it two years in a row if you're G five and then maybe they do get close to the top four. Yeah. They play Notre Dame and Indiana next year in addition to their AAC schedule. Well, that's their opportunity. But the thing is like the argument is not that we want uh, a claim to a championship. It's just that we feel left out because our, again, our, our bowl games are diminished the like the perception of them or the value of them because the playoff apparently it's done so well that it draws all the attention. So I don't know. I bowl games are diminished by the by the simple fact that there's so many freaking bowl games. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that's the games. issue. Right. Can I, we trade Cincinnati can we trade Syracuse for Cincinnati? I mean I now you're talking about a relegation system, Ben, and I love that idea. Louisville, like, like Louisville and Cincy are like two hours apart. They could be rivals. I like it for pro teams, but not college teams. Relegation, Cody? Yeah. That's fair. All right. Wow. This took a turn. <laughs> are we recording still, Ben? <laughs> yes. All right. Um, well, we will have preview show for the Ohio State game and presumably the Clemson victory and the national championship game. Um, plenty more to discuss. Very excited. We're going to be bringing on a special guest, none other than the Bama Dozer, has requested to come back on the air. So we're going to get him for the semifinal previews. I'm really looking forward to catching up with Dozer. I think he has licked his wounds since the last beatdown. They didn't make the playoff last year, so... I know he's hungry to get back into it for this year against Notre Dame. Um, so we'll look forward to that. Um, we'll come back to you as the podcast group as well. Um, so really looking forward to a little bit of downtime here. Um, there's bowl games on. None of them get really good for about another week or so. Um, but it is football. So cherish it. It's going to be over soon. And we're stuck with basketball and hockey. So, um, you know, speaking of basketball, Clemson hoops, they got a good start to the season. I don't think it's, you know, we're not really here to unpack that. Ben, why don't you get Sam on a show and he can talk basketball? Um, yeah, I've been chatting with him on the side. He does have a baby coming in February, so we'll see how much time he has on it's his December. hands. December. Uh, He's got all that? the time in the world. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, it's about when the season was canceled last year. Um, so, yeah, I know. I'm just really excited about this basketball program. Good for Brad Brownell. Um you know, he's deserved it. He's worked hard for this Clemson program and improving the facilities and improving recruiting. And it's really starting to show on the floor uh, this year. So I'm excited to see where this, uh, where this team goes. Um, and, and just to our listeners, um, uh, f- fair warning, Dozer is, is a gimmick. It's a stick. It's a, it's a act. Don't no, email us and tweet at us he's uh, how much, of how much you hate the guy. And how terrible he is to listen to. Um, uh, he's, he's excellent. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's especially good. It's funny. Take it lightheartedly. <laughs> Looking forward to it. It's going to be good. Um, his, his real name is Dozer, though, in all seriousness. Yeah. Doug Dozer. That's his name. Um, all right. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Looking forward to get, catching back up with you all soon. Everyone have a great holidays. Here hey, real quick, up. Tully. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Oh, yeah. Huge. Uh, Turns out TL is probably going to be a Jaguar. They won't screw that up, right? Try to win any games down the stretch. Well, Gardner Minshew might. Yeah, protect his job. 
that's interesting. Well, that's something to look for if you, if you don't really care about the NFL. Uh, the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes got a lot hotter on Sunday with the Jets winning. So we'll see. Um, anything else floating around about Clemson that we're not, not hitting? Poor Deshaun Watson. Hang in there, buddy. It's going to get better. All right. Thank you, everyone. And as always, go Tigers. Go Tigers.